We're nearing the end of our series on Ephesians, Chosen and Called. Over the last few weeks, we have talked about how this letter to the Christians in Ephesus, in it, Paul summarizes the gospel story and how it should reshape every part of our story. In chapter 4, Paul urges us to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. We have been chosen in Christ to become part of God's covenant community that seeks first his kingdom. Therefore, we are called to become more of who God wants us to be by building one another up and by living in love. Today, we're talking about how we have been called to live wisely. How do we live with wisdom? Well, to answer that, I think we first have to ask, what is wisdom? There's a big difference between knowledge and wisdom. Just like the kids actually got it right this morning. They said uh, wisdom is about how you act. It's not just about what you know. Uh, You can be really smart. You can have all kinds of knowledge. You can do really well on tests, know how to be successful at making money, be able to answer all the questions on Jeopardy, and still not be very wise. Wisdom is about discernment. It's about knowing how to respond well to situations, how to do what is right, and how to live well with others. Sometimes wisdom can be playful or even shocking. Uh, You you remember the story about Solomon? Uh, Solomon, God gave him all this great wisdom on how to be able to help his people. And there was one time where uh, two women came to him. Uh, they had been, they were living in the same house, and uh, they both had brand new babies. Uh, and, you know, back then they would sleep with them right next to them. And apparently in the night, one of the women had rolled over on top of her baby and smothered it. And when she woke up, the child was dead. And when she saw it, she quickly switched babies with the other woman. Well, the other lady woke up, saw the child dead next to her, but then looked closely at it and said, this isn't my baby. And so they started arguing about whose baby it was, and nobody could answer it, and so they brought the question to Solomon, the king. And you know, Solomon heard their case and said, here's the solution. We're going to take the live baby, we're going to cut it in half and give one half to you and one half to you. And the woman whose child it wasn't said, fine, do it. The woman whose child it actually was said, no, don't harm the baby, give, give it to her instead. Solomon said, put the sword away, give, the woman, give this woman her child. That's the real mother. Being wise, you know, Solomon was so wise that people flocked to hear him to, uh, uh, and to ask uh, his advice on things in their lives from all over the world. So how can we gain that kind of wisdom? Not by going to some guru or, um, you know, looking through the self-help section in the bookstore, 
but by listening to God through His Word. The reading from, Psalm, from Proverbs today said that God gives wisdom to those who seek it. And Proverbs 1 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Wisdom has to do with common sense, which unfortunately is not very common. It's about making the right decisions, especially in difficult situations. In the second chapter of Proverbs, wisdom is actually portrayed as a woman who calls out in the streets. She said, out out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall, she cries out. At the city gate, she makes her speech. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Repent at my rebuke. Then I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make known to you my teaching. All the way through Proverbs, there is this contrast between the simple, the foolish, and those who are wise. Wisdom is available to everyone. It's not something that's in short supply. People just don't often seek after it. They tend to prefer their own opinions rather than the truth. Wisdom doesn't depend on your education level, your social position, or your finances. It's about how you communicate with people, how you treat others, and how you carry yourself through life. People who are wise tend to have a steady, deep-rooted presence. They don't claim to have all the answers. They don't pride themselves on being able to rattle off Scripture verses or argue someone into the ground. Instead, they are deeply connected to the source of life. One of the wisest people that I know is a pastor who's appropriately named Paul. I had the honor of working with him in my first congregation in Michigan. Pastor Paul never comes across as a know-it-all but has a warm-hearted, solid, thoughtful presence. He asks insightful questions that help you see things for yourself. He doesn't take himself too seriously. He has a a playful sense of humor. He typically has a twinkle in his eye and a ready grin. And he doesn't get overly worked up about things. He's patient and steady. He looks you straight in the eye, and speaks the truth in love. Paul has a deep love of Scripture and lives it out in how he relates to people and how he leads his congregation. Back in Michigan, his license, his personalized license plate read Sheepdog. And if you asked him about it, what, why do you have Sheepdog on your, uh, uh, on your license plate? He says, he'd say, well, because a good Sheepdog closely follows the shepherd's direction. He protects and guides the flock with very little barking. And whenever the sheepdog isn't working, you'll find him right there at the feet of the shepherd. So a shepherd seems like a pretty apt description of a pastor's rule. 
helping guide the flock, and staying close to the good shepherd. The Apostle Paul acted a lot like a, shepherd, or a sheepdog in his letters that he wrote to all these congregations. You see that especially in Galatians and in First and Second Corinthians where he was writing to little house churches where there was a lot of conflict between people. He gave a few nips in those letters, but it was mostly gentle wisdom and guidance that steered them back on the right path. We see the same thing in Ephesians. You know? uh, in this poster from the Bible Project that we've been walking through, uh, it shows how Paul begins, the whole first half of the letter is about the gospel story, about what God has done for us in Christ, how he's made us part of uh, this big multi-ethnic family, how he's helped us live in peace. And then, after all of that, Paul goes on to say, therefore, this is how you should live your life. This is how the gospel should affect your life together. What does our story look like? Last week, or um, over, two weeks ago, we talked about how Paul uses two different metaphors to describe us as the church. That we are built up as a new temple and that we are becoming a new humanity with Jesus as the head. Every part works together to build up the body in love. And then... Paul challenges every Christian to take off their old humanity like a set of old clothes and put on a new humanity in which uh, the image of God is being restored. He goes into a long section in chapters 4 and 5 where he compares this old humanity with the new humanity. He says, instead of lying, new humans speak truth. Instead of harboring anger, they peacefully resolve their conflicts. Instead of stealing, new humans are generous. Instead of gossiping, they encourage people with their words. Instead of getting revenge, new humans forgive. Instead of gratifying every impulse, new humans cultivate self-control of their bodily desires. Instead of getting drunk, new humans come under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Well, then Paul spells out what the Spirit's influence looks like in four different ways. Uh, the first two have to do with singing, singing together and also singing alone. Uh, he says, speak to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. And then he says, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. It's interesting that the first thing that Paul thinks of about how the Spirit works in the lives of Jesus' people is singing and music. Our lives are to join together in harmony with the song that God is singing. The third sign of the Spirit's influence is being thankful for everything. We see God's hand providing and guiding us and we respond in gratitude. The fourth sign is that the Spirit compels us to put ourselves below other people. Uh, yeah, here. Uh, that you know, we, we elevate others as 
more important than ourselves. That goes completely against the wisdom of the world, which encourages us to put ourselves first and to seek our own benefit rather than others. Instead, Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He then goes on to expand on this fourth point by showing how it works in Christian marriage. He says, when a husband and a wife give their whole lives to one another and lay down their own selfish agendas, putting each other above themselves, their marriage mimics Jesus' love and self-sacrifice for the church. When we walk in the way of love, our lives reenact the gospel story. At the beginning of our reading today, Paul says, Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. We see evil and brokenness all around us, in the headlines, on the nightly news, in our communities, and in our own lives. So Paul says, make the most of every opportunity. Spread the good news by what you say and do. Let your words be seasoned with salt. Don't be unwise following the world's toxic patterns of selfishness and greed, shifting blame and anger and violence. Instead, be wise. Seek after God's wisdom. Put others above yourself. Pursue peace. Work for God's just and loving rule in the world. Be careful how you live so that you reflect God's light and love in your actions. Live as children of light. I recently read a New York Times article on a new documentary that has come out on uh, the life of Fred Rogers, uh, appropriately titled, Won't You Be My Neighbor? Uh, I want to share a little of the article with you. The documentary shows how Fred Rogers, who was a Presbyterian minister, some people don't know that, uh, started his children's show and used it over 30 years to teach and accompany children. It describes the famous opening sequence where Mr. Rogers goes to the closet, puts on his sweater, changes his shoes, and it describes how he gently gave children obvious and non-obvious advice. You are special, just the way you are. No, children can't fall down the drain in the bathtub. Sometimes he would slow down time, be silent for long periods as he fed his fish. Occasionally, Mr. Rogers' neighborhood touched politics. During the Civil Rights era, when black kids were being thrown out of swimming pools, Rogers and a black character bathed their feet together in a tub. The writer said, moral elevation gains strength when it is scarce. The article went on to say that once Rogers met a 14-year-old boy whose cerebral palsy left him sometimes unable to walk or talk. Rogers asked the boy to pray for him. The boy was thunderstruck. He had been the object of prayers many times, but nobody had ever asked him to pray for them. He said he would try, since Mr. Rogers must be close to God, and if Mr. Rogers liked him, he must be okay. 
When someone complimented Rogers on cleverly boosting the boy's self-esteem, Rogers said, Oh, heavens no. I didn't ask him for his prayers for him. I asked for me. I asked him because I think that anyone who's gone through challenges like that must be very close to God. I asked him because I wanted his intercession. Roger's show pointed out that the child is closer to God than the adult, that the sick are closer than the healthy, that the poor are closer than the rich, and the marginalized are closer than the celebrated. Rogers often uh, comforted children on the show and taught them in simple terms, but the documentary shows how he did so with a profound respect for the dignity of each child. Children are our superiors in the way that they trust each person they meet, the way that they lack guile, the way that a child can admit simple vulnerability. Children are superior for their instinctive small acts of neighborliness, the small hug, sharing a toy. In the wake of a 1997 school shooting where a teenage boy had warned his classmates that something big was going to happen, Mr. Rogers' response was, oh, wouldn't the world be a different place if he had said, I'm going to do something really little tomorrow. Rogers dedicated a week's worth of shows to the theme of little and big on how little things can be done with great care. Rogers drew on Jesus' words that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. That's the upside-down nature of God's kingdom and God's wisdom, which is wiser than human wisdom and stronger than human strength. May the Holy Spirit guide us to seek after God's wisdom and live our lives with love, care, and depth. May the little things we do reflect with gratitude the love that we have received from God through Christ. Amen.